Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Fighting Words. Donovan here. I've been on break for a couple months, but now I'm, I'm feeling back in the flow, man. I'm excited for this. So thanks to all of you who download and listen. Today I'm bringing back one of my superstars. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. I let's not let's not mention your name today and just see the mystery guest now. It's Jack Korzanowski. Oh, everybody. you the fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was expecting you to say ahoy there. Did I not say it? Not this time. You said it when you got here. Oh. And we kind of touched base on this last week. Mm-hmm. But I think this is worth digging into a bit. Why would you say such a thing? When I say ahoy there, when I'm greeting Yeah, nobody people? says ahoy. I told you I know one other person. Well, I don't know him, but an, an online presence mm-hmm. you know, says ahoy, and I kind of realized that. And then you said it, and I was like, aha, number two. Where, does, where, does the, where did this come from? This is an intentional distinction. Uh, decision to distinguish yourself yeah it's doesn't really have that interesting of a backstory though i think i was telling you this uh i have a friend back in minneapolis who would say it when we would hang out and i don't know why he would start saying it yeah so i said oh i like that so i started saying it and that's the story cool yeah is it helpful with the ladies uh not in my experience no (laughs) you have to mix it up (laughs) try let's try something like yo 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 that's got to be it. That's, that's got to be the one. That's factor. how I got Aubrey. Yo yo yo. Yo yo yo. And uh, yeah. Now what? That's funny. I was looking up. I want to know what where this word "ahoy" comes from. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were saying we think it's like sailor language or something. Yeah, it's like pirate language. I don't know. So I looked up "ahoy" background, and it literally just brought up images for a, a literal background that says "ahoy" like a sign or a. Uh, background screenshot. It's like, okay, never mind. Well, we'll do research on this later. Let's see if we can look it up in Miriam Webster. They have some good background on it, but you think so? I, it's the diction. It's an online dictionary. Yeah, they well, it's not an on, yeah, it's but a dictionary that is also online. It didn't start as an online dictionary, but well, they don't really. Well, maybe they do, but they can usually give the definition, but not necessarily uh, the history. Yeah, Miriam Webster does. I use it all the time. Miriam Webster. Yeah. Okay, I'm using I'm, I'm using the wrong one. Then I can't just use a. Uh, Dictionary.com. Oh, yeah, I don't use them too much. Oh, wait, the origin... No, that's... All right. Uh, uh, this is a waste of time, isn't it? I think it's an interesting conversation. Okay. I will say, I already went over this with you, but when they were doing, like, switch... When they invented the telephone, they were doing all the operational switchboards. Today, when you pick up the phone, it's general practice to say, you know, hello. Right. But they were trying to make it so that the general practice was you'd pick up the phone and say, ahoy. I yeah. don't know why that. We're trying to brand out. it that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, the definition is says this: it, uh, used by a sailor who is calling out to a passing ship or boat. Mm. So that's why it's not helping with the ladies. Uh. <laughs> Maybe I'm calling out to a dude friend. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm not getting a lot of history here, but I, well, that's the history. Sailors. It is sailor. It doesn't it comes, say the entomology. Oh, you want the etymology? It's etymology, not entomology. Do you know the difference? Uh, no. So, etymology is what you meant. Uh-huh. It's the study of words, right? R- r- word meanings and things like that. Mm. Entomology is something else. What is it? It's escaping me. It's something else, though. 
I'm it glad is. You know that. I've always just looked at the long word. I think it's the study of entenmans. Ah, just yes. Entom- let's see, entomology. Oh, insects. It's the study of insects. Oh, and they're different just by the one letter, eh? Or at least when you when you say it. When you it's say it, no, it's just that N. There's etymology. You just add the N. Etymology. It becomes entomology. Interesting. I didn't know that. I always thought it was entomology because you, when you see those long technical words, you don't really look at them too closely. At least I don't. I do. That's all I do. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Ahoy. Etymology. Rooted in the English ah and the English hoy. No kidding. <laughs> well, this is not helpful. What is hoy? Oh, it's it's English used to attract someone's attention. So just hoy. So you really ahoy is long for hoy. Hoy. Yeah. Now you want to distinguish yourself further and really get the ladies going. That's just say hoy there. Hoy. Hoy there, ladies. <laughs> just hoy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Hoy there. So today we're going to talk about well, in one sense, kind of a looking back on the past year and a half yeah, or yeah, so. And uh, boy, what a whirlwind! And uh, there's a guy on uh, Twitter. Well, he's out there in the whatever. He's not just on Twitter. <laughs> he exists on Twitter. It's a guy out there in the conversation named Zuby. And uh, you can look up things about him. I'm not going to give you a big uh, bio or anything. But he put a th- uh, post up on Twitter that said 20 it was called 20 things I've learned or had confirmed about humanity during the pandemic. And just going through it, I was like, hey, I, I agree with some of these. Some of them I'd nuance different. And, but I thought that'd be an interesting kind of conversation starter or kind of a yeah, thread to, to move through. And I've got my own thoughts and some other uh, media stuff I've, I have here pulled up. But basically, yeah, I mean, I, I would say my general experience was that there was a lot of confusion but I think I feel a lot more clear about some things now than I did early on in the pandemic. I remember a year, over a year ago when the pandemic started, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but Dirk and I did a podcast on this and response, particularly this idea of two weeks to flatten the curve. And, you know, it kind of made sense then. It made The scientists were saying it. You look at the the argument, which is, hey, we don't want the healthcare systems to be overwhelmed. So if we can slow spread, we can um, slow hospitalization, and that's really what's to be avoided is the um, the collapse of the healthcare system. And I still think that makes sense. You don't want the healthcare system to collapse for goodness sake. Like, what a nightmare right. to be overwhelmed. But what I look back on now and see is absolutely absurd, and regret having bought into it for a second was that you could flatten the curve in two weeks. That's it. Just, hey guys, all we're saying is we gotta flatten the curve in two weeks. It's been 18 months. Right. We're still in the pandemic, mm-hmm. depending on how you define that. So that to me is a re- re- one of the clear, just like, wow, that was really, and I kind of drank the Kool-Aid. I sat on the podcast with Dirk, and we said, hey, this, this makes sense, and talk to our people about it. Just like, hmm. I mean, wow. You shouldn't beat yourself up, yourself up too much, though. How much? Well, I'm I'm depressed. Oh wow, that's why I'm drinking uh, this iced tea. Yes, I was going to say drink <laughs> the iced tea. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, um, 
you shouldn't beat yourself up too bad. And I, if anybody were to feel in the same shoes as you, I would say the same thing. Because how much experience dealing with pandemics does this generation have? Not any, really. No, but this relates to a bigger lesson. I, I did not have a... That. I won't name his name. There's a man in our church who was, and I'll just, well, you, well we're, as we move through this, you'll get more sense of kind of how I feel about government response to this and all that. But I think it was, it was before they even shut things down because I remember we were still. In Iowa? Shut things down? Yeah, in yeah, Iowa. yeah, yeah. Oh. We were still able to have youth group because that's where he told me this. When he was at youth group picking up his son and he said this. This isn't a quote, but it's a paraphrase. He says, yeah, I don't know, man. I've seen over and over again how these experts handle things. And he was, he was the early, uh, he was early suspicious. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, I mean, I just remember that now. Like, and I would say a lot of what we're going to talk about today kind of relates to that idea of how we how we as a population relate to those in charge and the things that they're deciding discerning demanding and um i'm a lot more suspect than i was then and i was never like a full-on like campaigner for politicians or anything like that for sure but it's just gotten more, I'm more cynical about the powers that be and what they're up to. I think there's a lot of people in the church who are in that position, who are, where, when, when it, in, in Redeemer, I should say, people whom I know um, who would be, who were at the beginning suspicious of the, the government and the, the expert um, opinions and what they were trying to implement. And my semi sarcastic way of putting it is is say i always felt that way because i watched the history channel as a kid this yeah. isn't the first time where government overreach whether you do or, or don't think that the government overreached its bounds or overstepped its bounds with the whole covid situation how could they not how could they not how could they their, not their bounds how In, could the, how could the most powerful power hungry people on the planet not do that well, I don't that, think it's possible. So that I think is, it's the inevitable. It's inevitable. I'm frightened. Not frightened. Like I'm not gonna I trust the Lord. I'm fine. You sus- but I'm concerned yep. about the lessons they've learned and what they're gonna do next time. Right. That's. I mean, this opens up a very big Pandora's box. This this applies to uh, like gun rights and Second Amendment stuff. Climate change. And, well, the Second Amendment thing is, it, the reason why I brought that up is because so much of the suspicion against the government and gun regulations is because that very thing that you just said, where if you, it's it ultimately boils down to if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And you're, to me, it sounds like you're suspicious that the government and the powers that be, whether it's private or not, uh, private or public, um, either intended their handling of COVID to, or are using. Uh, I think it's more opportunistic. Well, I mean, like they're they're looking at how what they did and how the public responded, okay. and now you're are you suspicious that they see? Oh, look <clears throat> how compliant and submissive yeah what if let's just say this what if we declare a state of emergency because basically all we have to do is establish that there's an emergency and the emergency is climate change and that's a global earth ending 
you know, it's 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 worse than COVID. Mm-hmm. This is this is exponentially worse than COVID. How do you define worse? Uh, in terms of potential to end humanity's existence. You okay. know, COVID, it's like, well, a bunch of people will die, but we don't think we're going to go extinct. Yep. But climate change, thats the, the, the way that's talked about is escalated to the level of the, the future of the planet, the exist, very existence of humans. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I want to put a little, I, I want to raise my hand there, though. When it comes to pandemics or maybe even war, like nuclear war, that could be like a one day you're fine, two weeks later, world gone. Climate change wouldn't be that fast. It wouldn't be that sudden. So, as far as climate change being an emergency, but they're talking about that. Oh, oh, oh right. And I'm not saying it's it's true that it's that it's a an emergency in that sense. I'm saying it's being weaponized that way. Mm-hmm. It's being talked about that way. So now, follow me. Step one: it's an emergency. Step two: we need to take action during emergencies. Like I don't know, you can't leave your homes again because you're going to burn up carbon. Well, how are we going to eat? We'll print money. Well, don't worry, we'll take care of you. No, they would never do such a thing, right? They would never lock you in your homes. They've already done that. I uh, know, that's what and, I'm saying. Like I'm, that, that's what I'm talking about. When, like, they've, did you ever watch the History Channel <coughs> as a kid? Like, this has happened repeatedly. Oh, this gosh. is how Rome became an, an uh, empire. This is what Julius Caesar did. Now, I don't understand the intricacies of Roman politics all that much, but I believe that Julius Caesar used, uh, was it the Gauls? I can't remember. Some invading army saying, hey, we need to take action. We need a leader. Uh, we need to suspend the government and have one be like the militaristic mm. leader. And then that became, I think it was Julius Caesar, became him. And he said, hey, uh, we're not going back. Right, right, right. So this is kind of like, I get my history from the movie Gladiator. Ah. But that was kind of the issue there. Where you had the empire or the emperor, but he just wants to hand power back to the republic and this and that. So anyway. Well, there you go. You know where I'm I'm coming out strongly. <laughs> um, There's other examples, even just in the 20th century, too. Hitler being the, and the Nazis being a big example of that. But with the whole going, you know, jumping, jumping to conclusions and going right for the comparison with, you know, Hitler is always such a cliche. I try to come up with maybe more colorful examples. Um, yeah. But they're escaping me right now. I can think it may be the... Uh, um, uh, the um, communist or the Soviet revolution is a bit different, if I remember right, and um, the communist re- revolution in China is different as well. Now, where where I'm a so I'm kind of showing my cards as a uh, <laughs> highly suspect of uh, the government and kind of well, you call me a, a conspiracy theorist. I get, hey, I guess, Z- the Zuby guy who sparked the whole conversation had a point about conspiracy theorists. Didn't yeah, he? yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but but also, what I would say, I'm not therefore saying, well, therefore we need to, you know, get Republicans in office. And it's, I think the whole thing is shot. And uh, you know, maybe one's a little better than the other, depending on your preferences and all that. But I think the whole institution has been taken captive. And uh, and I, I'm very. <laughs> Does that surprise you? No. Um, but it just hasn't really impacted. Like, no, it doesn't surprise me. And I guess it's impacted us indirectly, right? Because all corruption and systemic evil like does, but but it we've never experienced what we experienced last year. That was surprising. That was yeah. We never and I'm 47 years old, 46, 47 this year. Never once in my life have I seen the US government 
shut down all the businesses, tell people not allowed to see, see their homes, not allowed to go see their loved ones in retirement homes, not allowed to have funerals. I, no, I've never, that was surprising. So the potential, it doesn't surprise me because I know theologically the potential and historically it's happened. But for that to, yeah, it was a shocking experience. Hmm. Yeah. It was like, man. So let's go through this. So to, to summarize, the Zuby guy yeah. right, that you're bringing up, he had a 20-tweet <clears throat> series, each tweet having a point of things. It's 20 things I've learned or had confirmed about humanity during the pandemic. Right. So which one do you want to start off with? Well, let's just move straight through because I started taking notes. Sure. Or if there's one we, you feel like we're not going to get to by the end of this, then uh, you know feel free, feel free to fast forward. Um, so number one just says most people would rather be in the majority than be right. So again, remember, these are things that he's learned or had confirmed, mm-hmm. right? Most people would rather be in the majority than be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've certainly, so when he says, I've seen that play out in different ways. Like one of the ways I think that play has played out in culture, it's obviously has played out in the pandemic and that's what he's talking about here. But the point is taken that most people would rather be in the majority than be right. How did how has public opinion on homosexuality and gay marriage changed so quickly? Right. I would say it's this. At some point, there was some tipping point where it became uh, you would fall into a minority opinion if if you took the old school view on this, and it took a big quick swing, like suddenly. 80% of the population is now like pro-gay marriage where 15 years ago it was, you know, the reverse, polar opposite. Like how did, did all these people have an awakening? Did all these people, you know, have a revelation? Like, no, there was, it was the winds of the times. Hmm. Have you ever heard of the Ash Conformity Study? Ash Conformity? No. A-S-C-H is the name, so it's the name of the, um, I don't know, what do you call them, a scientist or something that, um, that did the study um, it was an experiment. So here's here's what he basically did. So he wanted to study conformity in people. So they had um, people come in to a room and say there's like seven people at a table and then there's like the moderator and they would put uh, a line up on this, on the board. Right? A say like a, a sentence or something? No, no, like a little bar, like a line, a straight line. Just like draw a line, vertical, oh. a vertical line. Okay. And let's say it's uh, six inches long, you know? And then they'd have on another board three lines with the question, which of these is equal in length to the first line? And it was absurdly obvious. So if the first was six inches, the other one had one that matched, it was six inches, one that was like 18 inches, and one that was like two. Okay, those aren't exact, but that's the point. The point is it was really obvious. So when they did the study just with normal people, everybody got it right pretty much. 99.9% of the time everybody got it right. Then he did something There different. were people who got that wrong? Yes, dude. Well, maybe they vis- vision, vision impaired or something. You know, or maybe they like, misunderstood the question. Yeah, 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 which, yeah, one, yeah. which one of these is not or something? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, but then what he did the next in the next set of experiments was – he had the first six people were plants, and their instructions were to get it wrong. And then the last person, or the second to last person maybe, was just unaware of what was happening. Right. 75% of the time, now that person picked the wrong answer. 
when you say the the six plants picked the wrong answer, so there were three options, right? Three, yeah. And only one of them was the correct answer. Right. Did they all uh, pick the? Yeah, yeah. They were all instructed did, to pick the same one. The same wrong answer. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, I can I can believe that, and oh. I think that certainly plays into what you. You're using like the um, approval, the public. Well, that's an illustration because they listen in this study. They were asked why, why did you do this? Well, we know why, but let's take it from them. From them, do when we they know were why? when no, they were inter- when they were interviewed after the experiment, most of them said that they did not really believe their conforming answers, but had got along with the group for fear of being ridiculed or thought peculiar. Fear of being ridiculed, being out, being. Um, what did he say? I'd rather be in the majority than be right. I did not want to be ousted. So again, that's not necessarily a surprise. But man, when that takes over, when that spirit takes over in ways, not just in a room with a study about a line, but with societal implications about what's right, what's wrong, Particularly in topics where it's not so blatantly, here's the right answer, here's the wrong answer. By which I mean, let's use gay marriage as an example. There's a lot of voices out there saying, oh, love is love. You know, where it's not just, we, we think it's right. They are arguing and using fairly, I would say, rational arguments using incorrect premises, but rational arguments as to why it's a, the right thing. So if somebody's not really sure where they stand, on the whole gay marriage issue, and the majority of people are saying it's bad. Now you've got stacking reasons why they might change their mind, you're saying. One is pressure, but the other is like, yeah, I'm not, I don't really know. That, so and, and before I, I would just say, yeah, 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 man, that's no good. And now I'm like, well. I think the, um, the I don't know, they're not, the, the people, like the guy, the, the people who go into uh, this ASH study, right? They have no investment. They don't care about these three lines and which one's, you know, getting the right answer. They haven't studied this sort of thing before. It's not going to affect them after they walk outside the room. They don't care. They're just going to go out. With, they're going to go with whatever answer gives them the least amount of trouble. And if that answer is uh, fine, gay marriage is okay. We, you know, get off my back and leave me alone. That's what they'll say. And because, and it's not just like people are going up to them and and um, bugging them. Hey, what do you think about gay marriage? But it's you know, it's like when there's Pride Month or um, when. Maybe one of their friends comes out as gay and they ask him, what do they think about that? Or, some, you know, one of those lines where the, the topic comes up to them mm. and they have to make a decision about, what. hey, you know, what do you think about I'm coming out as gay? What do you think about that? Or, hey, you're, uh, my nep- or my cousin is coming over for dinner tonight and he's bringing his boyfriend. If you're like, you know what, man, I really don't care about whether, you know, the whole gay situation thing, I don't really care about it. I'm not going to give him any grief. Sure, gay marriage is fine, whatever. Even in, even if they think that it's wrong or they don't like it, they're not going to speak up. If well, there's not necessarily a reason to there, right? You know, I'm not saying you should have to make trouble all the time. Sure, but then yeah. when somebody comes up to you in a survey and says, right. well, "Do you think gay marriage is okay?" If you don't really have an opinion, or your opinion is very much like, "I really don't care one way or the other," and you know that this person is going to start pestering you with questions, if you say, "No, I don't think it's okay," you're going to answer yes, or just fine. be perceived as as behind the times, right? Even if they're yeah, not going to, yeah, push. sure. You don't want to be perceived that way. Mm-hmm. My, personally, for me, when I get in situations where I'm asked questions to provide an opinion on something that I really either don't care about or, more importantly, don't really know anything about, I will just go along with what people around me are saying because of two reasons. One, 
if everybody else is saying this, there's probably a good reason for that. Probably, certainly not always. And if I haven't done the research in order to make an educated guess, I would reject your first premise. Most people, what was, what did I say? If most people are saying this, there's probably. When I say good, good, I don't necessarily, I mean like there is a obvious reason. If most people, if um, there's, if it's, if you're on a, pl- if you're, yeah, a, there's an obvious reason, but it might be really, really bad and right. stupid, and but it's a blatant reason. So I'm trying to come up with an example. Um, so let's say I show up to church one day, yes, and let's say it's I'm a little bit late. It's it's 10:45 instead of 10:30. This is not a hypothetical, by the way. This uh, actually happened. Yeah. Well, no, not this. No, that <laughs> part yes happens all the time, but not this next thing. And I I, I pull them in the parking lot. Everybody's outside. Everybody's standing outside. Nobody's in the building. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna be like. Am I just going to get I'll out of my car stay outside. and right. be like, oh, I'm, well, I'm going to go in because that's what I normally do? Or am I going to be like, okay, there's probably a reason why all these people are standing out here. It's something like that. Yeah, where okay. there's a re- Okay, all these people are saying the same thing. This happens to me at work a lot in meetings. Where I'm like, oh, crap, is there something I don't know? <laughs> I didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah, is there something I don't know? Uh, yeah, sure. And then I, you know, th- then I say what everybody else is going with. And that's the reason why is because I, I, it seems like there's something going on that I'm unaware about. And as of right now, I'm not all that invested in it. So I'm just going to go with what the majority says. Now, if this is something that I have researched before, you bet your bottom dollar. I'm going to speak my mind up. I don't care how many other people are going with it. And in fact, when most people, if I have studied a topic and I know where I stand and I can make an argument for it and I see that the majority of people are in agreement with that, I take a step back and say, oh, crap, did I fall into the same trap as all these other people have? Because there's no way all these people are making the right call. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, let me move on to number two. We're not going to yeah. make it. We're going to make it through like a handful of these. Oh, yeah. Uh, at least 20% of the population has strong authoritarian tendencies. Now, he's using a, you know, that's a stat. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he made up that stat, but whatever. The point is enough of, of a portion of the population has strong authoritarian tendencies which will emerge under the right conditions and this is kind of what we were talking about earlier was like yeah i don't think people sat around, i don't think that you know china made the virus as a bioweapon i don't think uh this was all planned ahead of time here's what i think i think that lab leaked or the it, i believe in the lab leak hypothesis seems to make sense and it got scary, and in some places it got really, really hot, and it's a real thing. My dad died of COVID. It's a real thing, and there was an opportunity, mm-hmm. and there was some people who were trying to do good, and there's a mix of like, but there's also an opportunity mm-hmm. to wield power. To test the waters. And maybe test the waters. Like, Why is it that there's so much pork in every bill? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't know what I mean by that, like when a bill is presented to Congress, hey, this is about whatever we want to name the issue. It's about the, gay marriage. Co- co- it's about COVID relief. COVID I think relief. there is yeah. a lot of pork in those bills. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tons of it. So pork meaning things that aren't really relevant to this bill. Why are they here? Because now's our chance. We're going to ride the fear, ride the crisis, ride the moment. And in the meantime, get other stuff we want that's completely unrelated. That is... That's unacceptable. That's yeah. that's deceptive. They're holding it hostage. They're holding like this co- this COVID bill. I can't remember what the pork was. It was something. It was something as crazy and unrelated to COVID as like military spending and increases or something. I don't know if it was that specifically, but again, that's an example of how unrelated it was. 
And the whole purpose is they use the bill and they try to sneak it in. And then somebody could come back and say, well, I'm not going to approve this bill because it also has this other military spending or some other irrelevant uh, spending uh, item in there that shouldn't be in here. I'm going to reject it. Then the people can come back and say, look at this guy. Look at look at Donovan or look at Jack. He's shooting down the COVID uh, s- stimulus bill. Right. Or I would say they play that game until they both agree because they ha- both have at least enough of the pork in the bill that they want ah, for their own interest. Then you get double pork. That's right. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Um, so, again, I, I get most of my history from theatrical movies. Um, <laughs> the Patriot. Ooh, yeah. William Wallace. I looked up that quote. William Wallace is not in The Patriot. Isn't that the character's name? No, William Wallace is... Um, oh, that's the guy from uh, uh, Braveheart. Not, yeah, Braveheart. Braveheart. Well, it's the same. Way. I was thinking... Uh, it's Mel uh, Gibson. Mel Gibson, Okay. Yeah. So I don't remember the guy's name in the in in the Patriot. It doesn't I matter. The Mel Gibson char- character. I looked up the 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 quote I was looking for from that movie, and it's actually taken from a real life quote from a man named Matthew Biles. Anyway, here's the quote. So I don't remember if you if you remember in the movie they're talking about man we gotta basically re- rebel. You know the English are oppressing us and we're going to rebel and this is the beginning of the movie yeah, when all the yeah. like american yeah, citizens yeah. are that's right. contemplating actual open and, rebellion yeah and the gibson character he wants no part of that he's seen violence and he doesn't want he just wants to live a peaceful life with his family you know and obviously he gets pulled into the fight later and he's the hero and it's all great but he says to them these men americans that are want to plan a revolution basically he says which is better well, this is the real quote, original quote. Which is better, to be ruled by one tyrant 3,000 miles away or by 3,000 tyrants one mile away? Remember that. This is a great quote. And, um, and I was thinking about that idea, like this tendency toward authoritarianism. That's what, that's what he's pointing out. There's a strong authoritarian tendency. So like, think of that. What they were experiencing was, man, we're being oppressed, so we want liberty. With small government, limited power. Like what they started is not what exists now. No. It has bloated. It has grown. I mean, the just the list of demands and what's considered a human right now is like it's insane. Now I'm not saying those guys were perfect and no. they they certainly uh um and there's cost danger that comes with that amount of liberty. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a dangerous place, you know what I mean? And and their liberty was not granted to everyone. You know, natives and blacks and that whole kind of thing. So I'm not holding up the founding fathers' ideals. I'm as, as ideals. I'm just talking about this idea that they did throw off this power and built a country that had a lot more freedom than they previously had, and it was pretty small, pretty non-intrusive federal government, states' rights, that kind of thing. And now, now what, well, how did we get here? Right. It's authoritarian tendencies. Yep. All those societies drift toward more and more intrusion and power they don't drift toward liberty that's usually comes in a in a violent explosive movement right Right. like right but the tendency is always more 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 spending more bills more laws more there are a couple logistical uh i think considerations to that too so if you do have a gut it it kind of has to flow that way because you're going to have because what basically happens and this is going to be easier for donovan than the audience but if you have a a, uh, your x-axis is time and your y-axis as uh, authoritative index or okay. a, you know level of tyranny if you have a government that starts at really low tyranny levels let's call it 
And let's say a government official puts some uh, policy in power that ticks it up a little bit. The government's very rarely ever going to tick it back down. Right. So then that becomes a status quo. And then somebody says, well, hold on, I'm going to introduce this other thing, but it's just going to give us a little bit more power. And then it just never goes back down because the government, the government officials who, who want to increase power to make their job easier are never going to relinquish that power. Or they're going to do some very rarely to the point where the general trend is that tyranny will go up and up and up into a tipping point. There's a rebellion and then a crash in that tyranny level, hopefully. Sometimes well, it sometimes crashes in the wrong right, direction. Right, right, right. Um, Depends on like uh, like in uh, with Soviet with right. the Soviet Revolution and the Communist Revolutions in in uh, China and Cuba. But mm. that's the problem: is the gov- the people who are requesting power are the people who hold power and hold the authority to relinquish that power. Are they ever going to give it up? No, no, because they're not like God. Right? Does he give? Ooh, does he give his power up? Oh, dang. Mm-hmm. You've been listening. <laughs> um, so we got- no, he uses his power to bless instead of to curse. No, he doesn't give his power up, but he uses his power to bless. And then, but you go back to the, the, the chart. I'm on the chart now. Um, again, again, it's going to ratchet up, and it's not really going to ratchet back down. The only There has to be some sort of crash to bring it down. Yeah. Or there could be some pretty revolutionary politicians that do relinquish a lot of power in a, sh- a short amount of time so sometimes you get that yeah, that's pretty rare yeah. um uh instead of just continuing straight through this were, were there any that stood out to you you want to make sure we get to uh i don't think there's any one in particular that i was oh we should discuss this first i think there were a few of them that were all kind of saying very simple they're all different sides of the same coin well, like number three says fear of death is only rivaled by the fear of social d- disapproval so the first one he said you'd rather be accepted than be wrong. This one he's saying you'd rather be accepted than be dead. Right. <laughs> uh, there was another one. Or you'd rather be dead than be rejected. That's the way you would put it. There was a few of them. So the second one we went over, at least 20% of the population has strong authoritarian tendencies, which will emerge under the right conditions. Oh, was that it? Oh, yeah. So here's another one that's similar to that. When sufficiently frightened, most people would not only accept authoritarianism, but demand it. I think those two points are very similar to one another. Like it works together. Yeah. Like what? Right. Because that's what I was saying. They're capitalizing on what? The fear. What? what, uh, what why can they take this bill hostage? Well, what about the – I think these points are more <laughs> talking about not the politicians who are in power taking advantage of the situation, whether they mean to or not. No, no, no. That, they're talking about the population, this which is, is fearful. Right, you're right. This, and they're saying, government, please protect us. Right. And I'm looking at them saying, for the love of God, people, haven't you watched the History Channel? Do you know what you're doing? <laughs> and I know I sound smarmy when I say that, but hot dang, it's, it's, it's so it, – it is so mind-bottlingly obvious how many times we've been through this before. And it's frustrating to watch because it's just history repeating itself. So what do you do? I mean, I do think these things are nuanced and challenging because then what do you do? Like, isn't there a role for government? Didn't didn't government? Well, what have they done that's good? Uh, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Like, they can. They you know they they they, they, they build a public health health system like or whatever. Like, I'm I'm a libertarian myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, unlike uh, or I should say, like half the redeemer population, or at least it seems that way. But the reason why, the, like, so as a libertarian, what I think that the government ought to be doing is, is and where I, I do think, because a lot of people think libertarians are just anarchists in disguise or something, which is not true. 
government has a place and has duties, but it has it's severely overstepped that, particularly in this day and uh, day and age. Well, it's been doing it for a long time, such as um, protecting the rights of person A from person B, trying to infringe on those. I know the problem with that though is that is that when you get into defining rights. Well, I think what rights. I think what can constitute a right is easy to define. Exactly what all things right. are are rights after that. Okay, so here's what the category is, what things fall into that bucket. Uh, That's where the fight how, happens. How do I want to word this? So I think I think a right is something that um oh how do you how do you put it into words? Um it's one of those things where it's hard to define, but you can tell it. Let's when you do see let's it. come back to this another time. This is a broader conversation yeah, that's about true. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. Propaganda, number four, is just as effective in the modern day as it was 100 years ago. Access to limitless information has not made the average person any wiser. Okay, this is actually what I wanted to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that second part, uh, which is, so one, the first part, uh, propaganda is as effective today as it has been. Why would it not be? Because we can all know now. We have information. We, uh, don't, have, we nope. don't have to be limited by what the one government is telling us oh, or the media. Even. See, that's where the that's that's the premise. That's wrong. <clears throat> right. Because what the second part of that question is: access to limitless information has not made the average person any wiser. Because having information, having even evidence of something, is only half the story. You have to understand how to interpret that evidence. And when you have a bunch of people out there just spewing facts but a bunch of stupid people interpreting that information, <laughs> they're going to come to very wrong conclusions. And But they're going to arm themselves or they're going to think themselves armed with, with facts and science. Hey, this is what the facts says. It's like, no, the facts say... Um, so, for example, at work, you know, I, I, well, I used to test engines. And we can say, hey, I turned this knob. I increased um, rail pressure in the fuel lines and I'm getting less smoke. For emission stuff, okay, I don't under, may not under, necessarily understand why, but when it comes to reducing emissions further on, such as NOx or other other components, how do I interpret that information to figure out what I have to do next? And I can get we get that wrong so many times, but if people are assuming just because you know what the facts are, you know how to interpret it, that's completely false. Well, and part of the premise here is it's not even just facts; it's propaganda. Weatherman, how many times? Do meteorologists get it wrong? Yeah. They have all the facts backing them up. And then they say, based on these facts, I think X is going to happen. And they get it wrong. They do it for a living. And they do it and they get it wrong. Now, somebody may say, oh, but, the, you know, the, the facts are difficult to interpret. And it's hard to predict the weather based on factors that you know now. Sure. That's my point is that's the same story with a lot of things that we deal with everyday life. Yep. And people don't realize when that. you bring in the layer of, of propaganda. So one of the things that I uh, started doing is I, I listen to people all over the spectrum. Really, I'm show you my podcast list. I'm straight up communists. I'm straight up libertarians. I thought you said that you stopped listening to the communists recently. No, did I say that? I thought you said. Maybe that I took a pause. I mean, no, I'm, I'm listening. They're on there. Um, and what's really interesting is to hear them comment on the same event, mm -hmm. the same quote. And then sometimes it's just they have a different assumptions and perspectives, but sometimes just the way they frame the very thing, mm -hmm. you know, like I might give examples, but the point is it's not just neutral information you're getting. So if you, and this is what that, you know, that show, uh, the uh, social dilemma is about and people get into, have you seen that? The social dilemma? Yeah, it's really good. It's about what? social media and it's on Netflix. And, um, on Netflix, okay. 
and basically how echo chambering leads to polarization because you're you're just getting a lot of the same stuff. Let it's, me let me give you. I had this saddens me. Uh, I had a you know people come and go from Redeemer Church and they come and go for different reasons. This past year, I had a a man come to me and say, "Hey, I'm feeling a growing dissonance with Redeemer." Okay, and he had a list of things, and one of them was he said because he believes in science. That's pretty radical, man. So my read on the situation is that he tends a little more left, maybe voted Democrat, and the the language that was taken up around around the election time was were the party of science. Why? Well, I think Trump had made some foibles, for sure, but also... You know, there was this strong insistence from the media, and I would get to media, um, propaganda, um, that basically anything to the right was not, you know, if you were more anti-mask, you were unscientific. If you didn't think the COVID was as dangerous as they're saying it was, then you were unscientific. And so that just became the thing, like, we're the party of science. This guy bought that and then goes, oh, these people don't believe in science. How can that be my community? And I'm just, I'm thunderstruck by that statement. Like, mm-hmm. our church is filled with engineers. STEM. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Like, these people are not incapable of science. That's a, that was a very f- shocking statement. On top of the fact that you, at least to my knowledge and my experience of your sermons, you've never said anything that is, you know, uh, in the face of science either. You're not spouting... Uh, I don't know sermons that say don't believe in science. Science is evil, and, and any, anything with, with that. No, no. I, I love the results of science, but I think. Uh, and here's here's where a layer. He was looking for an excuse, I think, as well. Maybe there's a lot of layers there, but I do think he was kind of buying that. Now here's now this relates to media, Fauci. Like here's the thing, yeah. Science is good and healthy. However, you also have to have a good balance. Like, science changes. Slash, they don't... I mean, the scientists told us two weeks to flatten the curve. And they were wrong. Well, no, they weren't wrong, Donovan. Here's where you can spin it, because people disobeyed, and that's why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Media. Why? Okay, let's get back to uh, maybe founding fathers. Um, Why is the freedom of the press important because it's um oh i can talk i have a point on this that i could go on now the reason i asked this because he's talking about propaganda and what i want to say is that a lot of what we hear out there yeah it's really interesting like when i listen i say i listen to people on the left and the right i don't even listen to mainstream media mm-hmm. i'm listening to long form nuanced conversations about current events on the left and the right i'm not listening to mainstream media i get i hear what they're saying because these guys talk about it yep but I'm not wasting my time there. But and I mean Fox or CNN. Like I'm not listening to that garbage. Like, but your point about the why do we have why is freedom of press yes. in the uh, Constitution or uh, Bill of Rights? Um, because my, you're asking me. Why. I'm asking you so. why it's there. I think it's because maybe I'm wrong about the historicity of this, but they wanted to make sure that the press couldn't be couldn't be regulated by the government and the, controlled by the government. So that what the people are getting was pro-government, anti-dissidents. 
so you know, so on and so forth. I think that's part of it because it's freedom of the press to operate, right? Not to. It isn't just that they shouldn't. The government shouldn't control them. So, so it's an independent press, but it's freedom to operate. Like you're not allowed to silence them. Mm. Well, why would the government want to silence them? Well, I think that's part of the you know the regulation. Of it's kind of both regulation. sides, right? Like, yeah. well, I would say the the reason for the press is to hold the government accountable. Right. That should be the relationship. It should be hostile. It's a. It doesn't mean it has to be unloving. But maybe violent. I mean, it just is the the, the default posture of a journalist to the government should be suspicion hostility accountability because the view of them as a danger i agree now when you watch press conferences right now with joe biden would you say and maybe you don't watch them but i hear clips because i listen to all these other things does it seem like the media is hostile toward the Biden administration. I haven't watched any because I don't trust them. Dude, it's a love fest. Oh, I I, I would suspect <laughs> so. But here's the thing. The it's a thing love that, fest out there. When I said I could really go off on this topic, that's what I, I was so torn when Trump was president because I was like, here's a president and then here's the, the mainstream media whom I don't trust as far as I can throw them. And the mainstream medium is an abstract concept, so you technically can't throw it at all. So that's saying something. But they were so ravenously rabidly fanatically overzealously hostile towards trump so i was like in that regard they're doing their job okay i mean you got to think about it too a lot of people who hated trump are people who are now you know um bowing down to to joe biden and would otherwise be viewed as pro-government but then when trump was in power he had all these people who are generally pro-government saying government bad orange man bad we shouldn't trust the government and he was calling them fake press and i'm like okay okay trump i can like for that reason alone you're turning these people into anti-government um advocates that's impressive hats off to you for that there was a there was like a a, what they call it trump derangement syndrome that you were so angry at him Mm -hmm. um and just so you know well i don't vote but if i did i wouldn't have voted for him i wouldn't have voted at all so I'm not. I'm not a big Mission fan. Mission I, I. I'll tell you what. I, I. I hope he doesn't run, because I don't think it's mostly good for the conservative. Um, this is my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Trump effect has been good for the conservative leaning church, evangelical church, even like to align yourselves with that. And it's like, there's got to be a better person. I'm concerned that if he runs, he could win again, and I don't like it. So you may like it, and that's fine. This is America, and have a, you know, have a different opinion. But my point is, I'm no, I'm no Trump fan, but I also understand this idea that there's what they call Trump derangement syndrome. That he was so infuriating and polarizing that it, it blinded people's perceptions. So, like for example, lab leak theory. Trump mentioned that a long time ago, yeah, and it was immediately dismissed. Why? Because it was Trump. Because said Trump it. mentioned it. That is not science. No. No, it's it not. It is not science. And the people who agreed with them were branded as outcasts. And now it's looking like they may have been right. Did you hear that clip from... Uh, so when people... Like, that's that's when, again, what you said, like when uh, people believe in science, they say, no, you don't. All right. How about this? Here. Uh, I got a couple clips here, and we'll, we'll wrap it with this. We're not, we can come back to this. I like I like hanging with you, man. Oh. Doing this. Oh, look at that. Uh, as long as there's a microphone between us. Um, ah. Um... Oh, where is it? Oh, let me mute it for now because I got to get through the commercials. But 
So this idea of science, right? Like, mm-hmm. Fauci, is he a scientist by training? Is that his role? No, he's a propagandist. Mm. Like, that's literally his job is to communicate to the public on behalf of the powers that be. That's what he does. I've never listened to him, so I really can't comment. Well, it's just I've his, never trusted him. It's just his job description. His job mean, description is propagandist? Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. They're not using those words. Um, but he's, he's not... He's a government official, and what is his role? It is to be a go-between between science, scientific community, the government, and the people, and be in, inform and communicate and influence policy. This his job isn't. He's not. He's not a researcher anymore. Maybe he does that on the side. I'm. I'm not questioning his scientific credentials. What I'm saying is, it's not his job. His job is. Oh, how do I just put it? A. He's a policy influencer. He's speaking on behalf of the government. Yes. And as, I mean, he's, and the other aspect too is he's going to, I think people see him as a quote unquote, you know, scientist because of his uh, previous experience. And they automatically assume that everything coming out of his mouth is unobjective or is objective and unbiased. So early on, I I did have this thought um, early on in the pandemic. Nobody's answering this question, asking nor answering this question. What is the rate of death that we will accept as a society hmm. before we take action steps A, B, C, or D. It very quickly became very polarized. It's like, it's not that dangerous or we gotta save everybody. But the reality is that we accept death and all. You know, there's people die from the flu, people die in car accidents, like, okay. So we need to have a very, you want let's have a logical scientific com- conversation about Where's oh, that line? Where's that line, and what are the results? I, no, no, that question has never been answered to this day. Listen to this. I don't know if you heard this. Oh, still my, and I lost my, I lost my internet connection. Oh no, um, do I have mine? Yeah, my phone is still connected. I'll get it on Through here. Wi-Fi at least. Um, so, but that's the. Did, did you ever hear that question being asked? No. I remember you asking It's it. the most important question. It's getting right to the point. It's cutting to the chase, really, which is I always respect. Because ultimately, that's what everybody has more or less been arguing about. But not clearly. No, not clearly. Behind the scenes and cl- with clouded words. Like, was it Cuomo? Governor Cuomo said something like, if we can save one life, it's worth whatever we can do. And it's like, that's not true. That is not true. Easy to say. But once you actually try to act on that, because then why not car accidents? How many people die of car accidents every day? Yeah, so let's not drive. The point is that there is a balance not between- Not just, oh no, Donovan. It's not just let's not drive. It's let's make it illegal to and punish people for driving. Oh, here we go. That's the, it's the enforcement. It's everybody got along and agreed to it is one thing, but it's the fact that we have to start imposing these regulations on people. That's where another big aspect of it comes in. And then should the government have the power to do that? Because if it's doing it for a national emergency, okay, that's one thing. But now it realizes all it has to do is declare a national emergency and it can just act on precedence. Hey, we did this for the last uh, national emergency. Now we can do it for this one, even if that national emergency is fabricated. Just like to go back to the whole Nazi Germany thing, that's how World War II got started was Germany uh, dressed up some of its soldiers in Polish uniforms, attacked its own German outpost on the Polish-German border, 
and were like shot um either shot and killed the german soldiers and some of the polish guys or the guys dressed up as polish soldiers got killed or they just went and killed the german soldiers at the outpost and dressed their bodies up one of the two they pointed at the body saying look polish uniforms let's go invade poland and then we know how how all that got started that sounds so. made up jack i don't know man go check it out history channel all right listen to this remember the question is what's the number mm. so this video is uh from a congressional hearing and it is uh representative jim jordan questioning fauci and i think asking that he's asking the question i just asked and this is a well a year over a year into the pandemic right come on i'm having technical difficulties when is the time Well, in your written statement, you say, now is not the time to pull back on masking, physical distancing, and avoiding congregate settings. When is the time? When do Americans get their freedom back? Can you put your microphone on, please? Sorry. When we get the level of infection in this country low enough that it is not a really high threat. What is low enough? Give me a number. What, I mean, uh, we, we, we had 15 days to slow the spread, turned into one year of lost liberty. What metrics, what measures, what has to happen before yeah. Americans get my, their freedoms? My message, uh, Congressman Jordan, is to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can. Answer the freaking question. He won't. This is not, a, this, he is a scientist but he is not being one right now. He's not providing metrics, no. He is being a politician. No. This is, this, this is maddening. Mm -hmm. Answer the question. Do not you, only should you answer the question, this, should have, this question should have been asked and answered a long time ago such that this guy wouldn't even have to ask because it would have been known that it was the most fundamental, one of the most fundamental questions and everybody knows now. Donovan, do you really expect him to answer that? No. Okay. But... You're, so you're disappointed that he won't, but you're not surprised. Well, no, I'm not surprised. Yeah. But it's it's out it's an outrage. It's an outrage. I think it's just it's it's business as usual. And I'm outraged. Well, good. Can keep going to get the level of infection in this country low that it is no longer a threat. That is when, and I believe when that happens, you will see what determines when. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? What measure? What, what, I mean, are, are we just going to continue this forever? Or when does, when does, no. when do we get to the point? What measure, what standard, what objective uh, outcome do anyway, we... Anyway, you get the idea. Oh, I get, I get, I, I'm at work. I get asked those questions a lot. And I'm the bad guy when I can't provide them, as I should be. But he's not... Fauci's and this is what I'm guy. saying. He's heralded it's, as... That's what I'm saying. It's propaganda. Yeah. His job is not science. His job is propaganda. Yeah. They have an agenda that they want for whatever reason, I don't know, selling vaccines or whatever. I got some ideas. I think <sighs> I think you got some ideas too, Donovan, as to what they're Well, really money for sure. Why? Oh gosh, you get me going here. Mm. Uh, um, did you ever did you ever uh, hear that um, clip from the Stephen Colbert show where John Stewart is talking about the Wuhan lab theory? No. All right, listen to this. Well, what do you what, what what do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, so this perhaps this, there's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab? There's an oh, investigation. Can, a chance. Well, if there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I just don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? 
the Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they I, ask those scientists, they're like, how did this, so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no, I, you, you, the wait, name wait. of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, look at the name, can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, wait, okay, a, wait, okay. A, wait a second. Wait a what second. about this? What about wait this? Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. John. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or anyway, it's kind of funny that they mentioned a chocolate overflow like that because there was an actual story. I think it happened in London where a vat of molasses uh, buckled or something, and there was like a flood of molasses and more than one person died. Dude, what a way to go. Yeah. That's a sweet death. Uh, Sorry. So it was just, it was um, just like, yeah, that's a, that's sort of, not with chocolate, that's sort of happened before. But, and here's the, the a real eye-opener for me is this is, assuming that those two, or at least that Jon Stewart, wasn't being sarcastic. No, I think he's a believer. This, Jon Stewart, and I, I guess I don't know how Colbert would have reacted to that. Well, he was not a, he was not excited. He was like, well, he's oh, kind of pushing back on him. Jon Stewart, of all people, to say, he would have, if he said that, you know, uh, 12 to 16 months ago, would have been, he would have been agreeing with Trump. Oh, yeah. He would have been out, he would have thrown, thrown out with Trump. And now he, even he's saying this. Yeah. So now I want people to go back and re reflect when people are saying that this was, uh, this is the conspiracy theorist uh, item that... Uh, Zuby mentioned, yeah, is that they're off, you know often research more than gen the general public, which I agree. But then this goes back to the, you have to know how to interpret evidence um, or interpret information. Uh, so when people were hearing, oh, it's made in a lab, oh, you're crazy, oh, get out of here, you don't, you're not a science believer, and now look who is getting the last laugh. So the people, if you're listening to this, or if you, Donovan, or somebody that you know, remembered thinking, oh, the people who thought this was coming from a lab are crazy. You have some serious self-reflection to do. Oh, that was one of his. Uh, maybe that was one of his points in here. Um, oh, people who this is number eleven on Zuby's list. People who are dismissed as conspiracy theorists are often well-researched and simply ahead of the mainstream narrative. Uh -huh. This is so. I want to plug um, a podcast. It's called the Dark Horse Podcast. Oh yeah, it's Brett Weinstein and his wife Heather Hine. And they're progressives. They're not right-wing nuts. For instance, she didn't take her husband's last name. All right? They are... Why is that so right-wing by itself? Well, I think it's a sign of, you know, anti-tradition, anti right? And, like, being, right, being right. moving toward the future and rooted in ideas of, like, feminism and stuff like that. She would probably call herself a second-wave feminism or feminist. Um, we can get back to that, but the point is she's, she would consider herself a feminist in, in what I would say is a good way that women should have opportunity and dignity and that kind of thing, mm. not in the third wave way where men are evil and mm. blah, blah, blah. 
Anyway, I, it's probably my favorite podcast right now. Number one, they're they are scientists, practicing scientists. Um, they are on the left, but they critique everyone. But they critique the left too from within the left. Now they're not. Now again, there's all on a spectrum. The, the modern far left would call them. Well, part of their story is that they were ousted from the university being called racist. So they've got a really unique experience within that whole world. Mm. Um, but I really like it because, uh, yeah, they're, they're scientists. They're speaking into these issues of culture. You can't just easily dismiss them as like, well, obviously he's a Alex Jones right-wing conspiracist. It's like, no, these people have spent their lives like supporting things like gay marriage and gay rights. And they're like, they're, they're pretty left. And um, have always voted Democrat, but they're also huge critics of the de- Democratic establishment. They would, you know, their view is that it's been taken over by corporations, and they're not fans of that. So they're just really fresh take. And then sometimes they just go down. Really, uh, they're, the evolutionary biologist is their main um, thing. So they'll just go on little rants about toads or coyotes and things like that. It's just, it's just a good grab bag of information. But I like them, and I have found them refreshingly helpful in terms of. Uh, the pandemic and in terms of uh, uh, politics, critical race theory, thinking through the polarization of government and things like that. So anyway, little plug, Dark Horse Podcast. So, What does that have to do with, were you going to make a point from that? Or? No, I was just making, uh, I just thought of it because, oh, when we were talking about conspiracy theorists, um, oh, and people that are ahead of the mainstream narrative, I'd say they're ahead of the mainstream narrative. And um the Dark Horse podcast. Yeah, it's been really helpful. Yeah. So, all right, I got to go, man. We didn't get uh, nearly through this list, so we can come back to it. Uh, if you'd like, we'll do it again. Yeah. So, thanks a lot for tuning in. Love you. See you soon. Okay, there. Mm-hmm.